Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition. Whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you? Okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. OK, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement. But what is in my control? It's how I respond to the situation. And that's where the power is. So when we can understand that we create our own experience and the only thing that somebody cannot take away from us is our attitude and the way that we look at something, no matter how stressful, no matter how difficult it is, how can we flip it around and put ourselves back in charge? 
Woods intercepted. Picked up by Alex Molden. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my guest this week on The Shark Effect is Tina Greenbaum. Now, Tina is an optimal performance coach and a dynamic workshop leader who's been practicing for 36 years. And she has been a pioneer in combining traditional psychotherapy with body awareness, energy psychology, neuroscience, and spirituality. Her own personal journey led her to the discovery of the intimate connection between mind and body and she has been teaching others the skills necessary to gain mastery over managing their emotions in challenging and pressured situations. She's worked with business leaders, athletes, artists, speakers, and other high achievers who want to excel in performing under pressure. She's gonna share some, some tools, how to get you performing at your best when your best is needed. Tina. It's great seeing you again. Hey, welcome to the Shark Effect. I, I'm excited for our conversation today. Me too. Yeah. So Tina, tell us a little bit about you and why should people listen to you? Well, it's not so much that they should listen to me, but they should listen to what I have learned and what could be really helpful. So Love it. I'm, just a, I'm the guide. I'm a transmission person. And so about me, I have been doing this work for long, a long time, over 30 some years, and a psychotherapist by training, kind of mix up, call myself an executive coach, an optimal performance specialist, I don't know. We have a bunch of names, but basically I teach people how to manage themselves in high stress situations. Um, how to manage mm. that inner game, basically. You know, if you're an athlete, I love, I love sports and it's the inner game of self. Oh boy, that is something. I'm, I'm just already like, okay, man, I wish I would have had you in my <laughs> corner years ago when I'm, you know, trying to, trying to get ready for these different games and, you know, the stress level and, you know, there's fans and expectations, especially when you start getting paid, you yeah. know? Yes. That is, Absolutely. yeah. So what are some, like some, some tips you can give us in terms of like with those high stress environments, whether it's um, in sports or at the job or at home, what are some, some tips you can lay so on us? I say that um, there are a couple operative questions that help us to be able to manage ourselves in these situations. So we have to understand what I consider the um, definition of stress. So stress, the way that I've kind of learned it and use it and find it really helpful is the perceived amount of control that we think we have or we don't have. So the operative word is perceived. And there are things that are happening happen to us externally, like COVID, we're in COVID right now, that has been really pretty much uh, out of our control and the way that it's been handled and all of those other things. But okay, so, but what is in my control? It's how I respond to the situation. 
And that's where the power is. So when we can understand that we create our own experience and the only thing that somebody cannot take away from us is our attitude and the way that we look at something, no matter how stressful, no matter how difficult it is, how can we flip it around and put ourselves back in charge? And sometimes, you know, the decisions get smaller and smaller, but many, 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 many times, you know, if you're, you know, I work a, a lot with high powered, you know, executives and they're, that have a lot of people that they're responsible for, or again, it doesn't matter sports or family, but it's basically, you want to be that person that everybody wants to be around. And that person is calm and cool and collected and can manage their thoughts no matter what's going on. And so in order to be able to do that, we have to have a quiet body so we can have a calm mind because the body gets triggered before the mind does. And a lot of times when we just talk, 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 talk and try to talk ourselves out of things and in the meantime, our heart is pounding and our, you know, our, our fists are clenched and our hands are sweaty. It's learning how to really kind of control that nervous system so we can calm down and then think much more clearly. Instead of like how we, most people make decisions based off how they feel, right? Correct. I think our feelings are really important and we don't wanna dismiss them because right. as I like to say, it's a mind and a body experience. My feelings inform me. I just don't have to act on them. Mm -hmm. I get to choose the way I respond. Yeah. Look so at it's that. It's important to know when somebody makes you angry. It's important to know, you know, if your feelings are hurt. It's important to know that people are kind of talking about you and, and how you're, what you're picking up. So your feelings are actually the way I perceive them for me, they're my Geiger counter. I would never want anybody to take them away. Once I wreck, because then you just turn into a robot, right? Turn into a robot. We know a lot of robots. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's by training, just the way that you trained yourself. We train ourselves. We train our body and our mind to be fine instruments to be able to pick up what's going on around us, and then be able to process it really quickly over time. You know, mm -hmm. again, you become much better at it. You know, in the beginning, it's like you're driving, learning to drive a car and you have to think this and think that and think that. And, but after a while, when you, when you do it so many times, it becomes second nature. And as soon as I start to feel like that jolt or like, oh, it's a pit in the stomach or any one of those feelings, the next thing that happens to me is like, where's that coming from? What's that about? As opposed to you know, screaming back at something or, you know, yelling at because we want to understand, Alex, that the brain is wired for danger. It is our most natural reaction is to respond. It's just mm. the most natural thing. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You know, you say bad things to me, I'm going to say it back to you. And so I always call this kind of higher level functioning. You went to school for everything else, but they don't teach this too much in school. And I don't know about your parents, I had good parents, but they didn't know a lot of the things that I've learned and that have become second nature, but also make my life so much more pleasant, livable and manageable. Mm, yeah, I like that. 
So, man, I'm, I'm just thinking back. I had <laughs> people in my life that, whether it was coaches or even, you know, teammates, that there was already stress in the situation, Correct. right? It was already stress when, um, you know, there's, there's cut day. You know, the cut day comes down. So in the NFL, you have certain days in training camp where the pressure is high. You have to perform like every practice, depending on, I guess, uh, contracts and needs and wants of the team. But every day was like a, it's a rehearsal. And not nobody was like guaranteed a, a position, a job. Mm-hmm. And so you had to really, you know, just focus in on what you can control. And it's just like in some some people they um, they they folded underneath the stress when they started to act a different way mm-hmm. because of the stress they didn't and I'm talking about like different like they were great players but then when the stress came then they they got quiet or they got small. That's right. That's right because again they didn't train their mind in the same way that they trained their bodies you know, for sport. And, you know, my youngest son was a, a really very elite athlete in, in soccer, particularly. Mm-hmm. And so I used to say, I don't know a lot about soccer, but I know a lot about psychology. And, and so if you're in front of the goal and the last moment of the game is dependent on you being able to hit that penalty kick, I don't need to teach you how to kick better. <laughs> you already know how to kick. Mm-hmm. You know, the training is really... How do I focus on where I need to focus and send my foot to the place that I need to send it? Because actually the percentage is in your favor. The goal is much bigger than the goalie. And so if you can keep your mind where the mind needs to go, the foot will do what it needs to do. And so again, if you practice it over and over and over and you, you said the magic word is focus. Mm. Because again, for focus doesn't come easily necessarily we're distracted by so many things there's so many things going on and all the pressures so all you have to do is send your attention outside um, am i going to make this cut you've already lost a percentage of your focus that mm. needs to be on what it need what needs to happen in order for that coach to pick you so again my, you know going back to my son with, with the soccer coach he used to say to him he said he asked my son what, was, what his goal was. And he said, I want to be on the national team. And he had the ability to do it. It wasn't like a, like a, you know, like a crazy dream. And he said, nah, not, not really a good goal. And my son, what, what do you mean? You know, I spent my whole life you know, working with this dream. And he said, you can prepare to be on the national team. He said, but you're a right-footed halfback, you know, and if they want a left-footed, you know, defender, you're not going to make the team. So you can only do what you can do. Mm. So that's, you know, it's an intellectual thing, but then, okay, no, how do I do that? How do I actually put that into practice? And that's where the training comes in, Alex. You know, somebody like me, you know, who trains people, what do I focus on? What do I do with those thoughts? How do I calm the body down? How do I keep my nervous system quiet so that I, I'm not so highly aroused that I can't think clearly? Because as soon as the nervous system goes offline, the brain goes offline, the mind goes off. Mm. And then, 
you know, it's that spinny kind of feeling. It's so it's, it's, a, it's a lot of training mm-hmm. and, but it's training for life. It's training for everything. It's not just sport. You know, it's not just being wanting to do, be that CEO or, you know, that CFO or, you know, the high, high position. It's being a parent, you know, raising your kids. It's standing in line, yeah. <laughs> you know, waiting at the DMV. Um, it, you know, it's all of these things that when you have these skills, life works. It just works. Mm-hmm. As difficult as it is. Yeah. for everybody tell me a little bit about your mastery under pressure i see that beautiful book right behind you, you. so mastery under pressure is um my program my book it's my brand you know we, we created this uh kind of statement of mastery under pressure and that um because that's really what i that's what i i want to be able to pass on so it started out as an online program and from the online program, and I still have the online program. Uh, and then I made it into a book, um, podcast, articles, all kinds of things to be able to help you learn these skills, which are focus, relaxation, how to deal with that negative self-talk, how to visualize, and then how to manage fear and use fear as I call as your greatest teacher. And so if you had a whole team, whether it's at work or in sport, wherever, a whole team that was trained in the same kind of training, mm-hmm. you would be able to look at your, you know, your fellow person and say, I got your back, just chill. And then they know what to do and they catch themselves. And, and that's, so we have mastery over eating and, you know, we're going to do a whole bunch of things, but um, I've worked many years with women with eating disorders and addictions and um, pressure, just that mm-hmm. pressure, wh- however it hits. Whether it's, it's internal or external? Whether it's internal or external, absolutely. And I think that's a great point because a lot of times we create a lot of pressure for ourselves. I'll give you another example. I have a client that works, um, again, in a very high pressured, high position with a lot a lot of people underneath him and uh first time we talked he said um I'm just not happy you know I'm making really good money I have a really good job I have a lovely family I'm just not happy we're talking a little bit and he starts telling me how he has this expectations of himself he needs to be perfect at this and he needs to be perfect at that and you know he's never satisfied with how the, the job that he's done and I said you know what you're never going to be happy. <laughs> you're never going to succeed with an outlook like that because you've already undone yourself. Every time mm-hmm. you attempt to do something, you're never good enough. So you can't ever be happy with that mindset. And so it's learning how to work with expectations. I said, when you have an unrealistic expectation and you're reality- trying to be per- perfect, right? Trying to be perfect. Unrealistic unrealistic we need to change those words i like to be really good at what i do i like to be really good at what i do but i like to go for excellence as opposed to perfection and just that word excellence kind of changes the whole kind of feeling right Mm -hmm. of the effort because i can achieve excellence 
I can always take feedback and make it better and work on it and tweak it and, you know, so that I can get better and better, but perfect. So we had to work a lot with his expectations. And uh, I would say that is that like, like how he defines things? That's right. Gotcha. Okay. That's right. And again, you know, we were raised in families. We raised with parents that have expectations of us, and, you know, and there's so many influences, you know, friends, peer groups, uh, media, everything. Oh, especially <laughs> nowadays, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Man, a lot of expectations that can be put on you by others or, or yourself. Yeah. Oh, man, I can Right. If you ever want to feel bad, just go look at all the what, amazing things that your friends are doing on, on social media. How are they doing that? You know, no. And that's just, and, and then you're just seeing their highlights. <laughs> you're not, because nobody wants to, very, very few people want to share their, their low lights. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you talk about fear. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we flip that? How do we, how do we, you know, turn that fear, that negative um, I want to say emotion. How, how can you flip that on its ear and make it work for you? So again, I like to use fear as sort of a friend because it gives me again information. It's a feeling. Okay. Right. There's wonder, a couple of wonderful sayings I have about it, which I love is one is fear is the only thing that gets smaller as you get closer. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's just say that this is my first podcast I've ever done. This is the first speech, the first public thing that I've ever done, right? Which is not true, but let's just pretend that it is. Mm -hmm. And, but I always get a little jumpy, you know, I'm excited. So there's always a little bit of, because it's live, we never know exactly what's going to go. If the phone's going to ring on my computer, who knows? Anything could happen, So, but let's just say it's my first time and I've got a lot of anxiety about it. So I recognize rather than avoiding it, which is what the most prevalent thing that people do is we tend to avoid things that are uncomfortable. That's why people don't do this level of work because sometimes it's uncomfortable. Mm. Let's just say, okay, so I recognize this fear. Um, I'm feeling a little anxious. I say to myself, okay, so what's that about? Well, I've never done this before. Then the question, what's in my control? What's out of my control? Always my favorite question when it comes to fear and stress and what's in my control, what's out of my control. Well, I can prepare to be here. And that's one of the really, really big things in terms of performance and doing as best as you can to prepare. But again, because it's live, I never know what's gonna happen. So that's out of my control. How much attention am I going to put on things that are out of my control that I can't predict, which is where people go into the future all the time. What Mm. if this happens? And then what if that happens? And what, now, again, if we're doing something and we're doing a production, I'm going to, well, what if this happens? Well, I have another mic or what if that happens? You know, three of my kids are all into, um, you know, production and music and things that can always go wrong in the moment. So you do your best, you prepare. You have an extra set of, we used to call my father Mitchell prepared, you know, in the back of his car, he had chains, he had a blanket, he had for snow, he had for wind, he had for rain. So oh, he was prepared, 
right? But up to yep. a point. And then there's a point where things just go out of our control. And so as it gets smaller, I look at my fear and well, I can manage that. I can prepare for that. I can take care of that. Oh, well, that's not so big. Mm-hmm. You know, even taking, you know, what you're talking about in terms of, you know, when you were trying out you know, for the team and every day is another audition. You know, if you're an actor, dancer, performer, every day is another audition. What do I need to do? Where do I need to keep my mind? What do I have to do to do the best I can? Because our conscious minds, Alex, are only so small. They're small. You know, I'm going like this and square, you know, the square of our, our image here. That, imagine that's your conscious mind. This is what I can control. Mm-hmm. All the other things, once that's filled up, it goes into my unconscious. And I don't have direct access. Mm. Which is why, you know, when I'm when I need to prepare for something, I need to perform, I need to put all my attention 100% on the things that will put me in the best situation to have the best performance that I possibly can. So that means you can't be thinking about all the, the bad the bad situations, the bad things that can that can happen. Because now instead of 100% of my attention, I take that away, I start thinking about, oh, what's the coach doing? What's the next person doing? What's this one doing? You know, what's my colleague doing? Well, now maybe I'm down at 50%. Oh. And then if the mind just kind of takes over, then I got about 2% to perform. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Man, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's good. Tell me, so how does emotional intelligence, how does that, have we, have we already been talking about that or how does that kind of enter into the realm? So your, your emotional intelligence has some couple elements. One of it, one of the things is to be able to empathize. It's a really big thing too. I can put myself into your shoes. Mm. And for people like me who are in this line of work, that's one of my highest intelligences. It makes me good at what I do because I can take a situation, I can look around, I can get a sense about people. You know, I can use my intuition. I can, all those things that are sort of nonverbal, you know, I understand people, I understand how they operate. And so it helps me. The danger of being too empathic is sometimes we get lost in other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel what you feel. And so sometimes if we're not careful about our own boundaries, we can get lost in other people's pain because we feel it so intensely. So it, emotional intelligence, again, part of that is being able to be intelligent enough about your own feelings and where mm-hmm. you are and your own boundaries so that you can gauge your own behavior but basically, it's really picking up those nuances about people. And it can be learned. Some people are, you know, we all have different gifts. And some people are more gifted than others in that area. But we can all learn how to be more empathic. Mm-hmm. And this is where, again, raising children um, is so important. You know, that, that golden rule. I really 
I use that a thousand times with my kids, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Do unto them as you would have them do unto you. Those, you know, those kinds of things so that we become, we are social beings, but that we're, that we're cognizant of other people. And so they, I mean, I think say that you could have a certain level of all different kinds of intelligences and maybe not as high in this one or that one, but the one who really can read people, can assess the situation, you know, can schmooze people, um, be diplomatic, is going to go further than the one who just doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to it or just mm -hmm. doesn't have that acumen and doesn't really practice and learn more. Makes sense. So is this safe to say like, if I've, if I know the different things that have uh, happened in, in my life, whether it's good, whether it's bad, and um, whether it's sad, sorrow, like all these different feelings. Mm -hmm. And we might have different backgrounds, but you have gone through maybe a death in a family, or maybe you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I can just go back into my past. Absolutely. And when I first broke up with my girlfriend or, you know, my, you know, my grandmother, somebody who close to me passed away and I can get into that and be, and then, you know, kind of, even though we're not in the same background or whatnot, but we've, we've all had those same feelings. And I'm sure, you know, as we get older, you know, we've had time to kind of really deal right <laughs> more tragedies more difficult situations yes absolutely yeah because we all know how to i mean like with the good things you know we all i mean it's great to celebrate and you know the wins in life but now i'm, I'm you know i'm going to celebrate but i'm also always going to be wary of um you know, that feeling, because oftentimes, like, for instance, my dad, you know, he was, he was a former drill sergeant. He didn't smile a whole bunch. He was, yeah. you know, he was, yeah. he was Stone. That was his nickname, Stone. And I wouldn't ask him for anything unless he was happy or he was smiling. So I was like, oh, this is my moment. <laughs> I had a dad just like that, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the good news and the bad news. Yeah. The bad news is it makes you very tuned in to other people and other people's moods. Mm -hmm. You could tell me when my father would walk up the back staircase, I already knew if he opened the door and he was in a good mood, the whole house and all oh, would relax. If he was not in a good mood, we ran for the hills. Mm -hmm. But it also tuned me in to that those nuances. Of people's behavior right seven percent mm -hmm. of what we say actually gets registered the words 93 percent is body language and um tone like and, that right yeah so again that's part of that emotional intelligence it's really kind of being able to assess you know kind of what, what what's the read on this situation mm -hmm. everything is energy Everything is energy. I love what you said, like that tone, the, the tone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the body language. Yeah. And I, I'm just, you know, with me and, and, and coaching, 
right? Whether I'm coaching athletes or I'm coaching people to be, to, you know, to be the best version of themselves is I'm very wary now. I didn't used to be, mm-hmm. but now it's like the tone in my body language because, because if I can have, um, if I'm excited, or I'm gonna say excited, but I'm happy that somebody did, you know, they accomplished their goal. Mm-hmm. And I just say, hey, great job. Instead of like jumping up and down, smiling, it's like, hey, you that's amazing. You know, so they know that it, it matches up. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times where it doesn't match up. Like when you, when people have, you know, when they're nervous and they laugh when they're angry or kind of giggle. You know what I'm saying? Like that's oh, not I know exactly what you're saying. That's confusing. Talk to me a little bit about that. My my wife does this, by the way. She she uh when she gets nervous, um she starts to giggle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when she yeah, when she, yeah, she starts to giggle. Is she aware of it that she does that? Yes. And she, she blames it on genetics. She blames it on her mom. Okay. That, that's a, I think that's a cop out. But uh, yeah. So I think it's, it's, she probably learned it from her mom, but we've all had parents that have taught us all kinds of things that maybe aren't the best for us as we, you know, become adults. Absolutely. So I always say that children are the only victims. Children really are victims because they don't have the capacity to have that level of control over their lives that we as adults do. And once we mature, it becomes our responsibility. It's like, and this is exactly what we're talking about in the beginning. It, this level of personal growth and transformation, because it really is, it's, it's, we're raw beings, right? We come into, you know, come into the world, we're raw, you know, whatever our home lives are, or whatever we've been victimized to, at some level, we become cognizant enough to be able to make our own choices. And this is where this part of, being self-aware, you know, mindfulness is a big word now. It's an ancient, ancient tradition, but it's really becoming aware in the present moment without judgment. So let's just say that if your wife were to say, this is where I learned it, you know, from my mom, but I don't have to continue doing that as an adult. But the first thing I can do in order to change it, I have to do is I have to become aware that I'm even actually doing it. And so, okay, so now I'm recognizing that I'm giggling, just like I was talking before. It's like, oh, what's that about? What am I feeling? That's why I would never want to take away my feelings, right? Because if I can begin to start to name the feeling, I'm feeling really nervous. I'm really scared about this thing, or I'm angry, or I'm this, or whatever the feeling is. Oh, I can name that feeling. Okay, so my my history tells me that I laugh. Don't want to do that. I want to deal with the feeling. Who am I angry at? Where did this come from? What's this about? Oh, Alex just said to me something in a tone that I didn't like. Oh, now I can go back to Alex and say, You know, when you said X, Y, Z in the way that you said it, it made me really angry. And now you, Alex, can say, well, you know, 
where did that come from? Was I, you know, and then you can go into what, what was going on with me. So now you've got two people that are in the present. Mm. I didn't really mean to jump at you at that, that way. I was really upset about something that happened at work. You know, and she, oh, well, yeah. And then you apologize, I'm sorry. And she says, well, I forgive you. And now we're clear. Yeah. We're clear. Love that. And that's how relationships ideally, you know, can go. Each person takes responsibility for their own behavior. Yeah, this is mine. No, that's not mine. <laughs> that that is such that is such a key, what you just said. It was talking about like strong relationships, no matter what, but taking responsibility for your actions. And I think there's a lot of folks, especially in, you know, who have fame or who have a platform mm -hmm. that they don't mm -hmm. they don't take responsibility it's and the key that's the key it's the key it's the key taking responsibility you turn it on yourself and stop blaming everybody else because that's the easiest thing in the world to do if he say that one more time tina say that one more time <laughs> stop <laughs> blaming everybody else Take responsibility. This is how I married my second husband. The day he said to me, he says, I take responsibility for my own behavior. I said, oh my God, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> and it works. And it doesn't mean that we don't have our, you know, ups and downs and uh, we very, very, very rarely fight, but we had one the other night. And, uh, you know, he said something in a way that I didn't like, it was the tone. And then he got defensive, right? Oh, yeah. He got defensive and we kind of stormed off a little bit, you know, he came back and I said, well, are we going to talk about this? Not right now. Okay. All right. Not right now. All right. Five minutes later, when you raised your voice is when I got really pissed, you know? And I said, well, when you had that tone and the way that you said it, done. Look at that. Done. Done and gone. One of the biggest, or, you know, when me and my wife, we get into little, little spats. Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's most of the time, it's the tone. I won't say like for us, it's like, you know, it's, that's the biggest, it's, it's my tone. And then she says that. So I come in a tone and then she, she doubles down and then it just, it, then it spirals. Yep. yep. Because my pride jumps in too. Well, there you go. So you have to understand, okay, in conflict, conflicts only escalate because we add fire to it. It's like, it's like a fire, like, you know, we just add more juice to the fire, just more oxygen and then, then, it, then it explodes. So there's a whole thing, honestly, in, in really training and communication and how to phrase your words and your sentences so that you don't put flame on the fire. Oh, give me an example. I love this. I, I love where this is going. I love, I'll give you an example. So if I say to you, Alex, close the door. And you say to me. Hey, I, well, why are you coming in so hot like that? <laughs> or you could say, 
no, you know, you close the door. I don't like your tone. It could go anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. If I said to you, and you asked a nice question that gave me an opportunity to actually answer it back. A lot of times people don't, depending on, you know, it's like, or, or if I said to you, Alex, you close the door, you'll always leave it open and it's always cold. You're going to come back to me with some kind of defensive statement. No, it's not me, it's you. It's, mm -hmm. it's the most natural thing to do when you point a finger at somebody, whether you say it, you, or you actually point the finger, you blaming somebody. Oh, okay. Right? And if they're not really conscious, they're going to blame you back. No, it's not me, it's you. Right? Then there's another way um, where, <sighs> God, Alex, would you please close the door? Now, how does that make you want to respond? <laughs> it's like, Oh, just you saying that, just that deep breath, like, oh, you're such an idiot. You always leave the door open. You didn't say those words, but just how you, oh, you big dummy. Right. So the Close first the door. way, you know, when you attack like this, this is an attack. It's, it's, it's aggressive. You okay. This is passive aggressive. Mm. Not really kind of blaming you, but you're getting it. You know that I'm really pissed at you, I'm really mad, right? And so I'm not going to get a good response back because I've set it up to put you on the defensive again. Right? And I'm sure all this is like you're not thinking about it. You're not present. You're like subconscious. You know, you don't thinking about. Just respond. You know, you're just 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 reacting, right? Got it. And then the third way is. I just don't say anything. Oh boy. Right. I so, know people like that. Right? My dad was I really good like at the style of treatment. Oh boy. <laughs> uh. So in order to actually get what you want, you only get 50% of an opportunity. You don't get 100%. If you don't say anything, you get zero. Okay. Right? If you're aggressive, you really get zero, okay? But if you're assertive, and the way that you phrase assertive statements is it's always from an I place and I feel, you know, Alex, I'm really cold. Could you please close the door? Right, no biggie. No biggie, I would, I would, I would close the door for you, Tina. So by me asking you not only nicely, so I've got a good tone, nice tone, but it's the way I phrase it, I'm feeling cold. When you say this to me, this is what it makes me feel like. And my husband said to me, when you yell, when you raised your voice is when I went, you know, when I left. And I said to him, you know, the way, when you said X, Y, Z, it made me feel like you were dismissing me. It's from that I feel a place, and then it gives the other person an opportunity to reflect. Got it. Yeah, maybe maybe I said it in a harsh tone. Maybe I wasn't so nice. Maybe I did raise my voice a little bit. I'm sorry. So what happens when you have people 
that they're not even as in, in touch with their feelings and they just say, I'm, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know like how they got to that. They didn't even know that it was because of somebody's tone, um, the words or their body language. They just got angry and they, and they don't know exactly why. Does that happen? Of course it does. It happens to most people. That's why there's only a small percentage of people that actually do this work. Okay, and that's yeah. why I'm on a mission, a mission to teach as many people as I possibly can, because this is the key. This is the key to world peace. Love it. No, it just is. Mm. Right? So we have to be in a situation, we have to have guides, we have to have people that help us to be able to navigate this very complicated system. And this is the thing, Alex, because in our culture, particularly, we're very mental. We think, we think, we think, our, we try to think our way through things. And we don't really have access to the, the whole emotional realm, which is the realm of the body. Mm. Really, it's a body brain thing, but, but we feel our emotions in our body. And so they're a guide. Right. So when, like I said before, when I have that pit in my stomach, I know that I'm scared. You know, when my heart is killing, you know, hurting, I, I know that I'm, I'm, you know, that there's grief here, that I've lost something. There's different parts of the body give us so much information. Right. So if we're trying to think our way through, we can only, again, have a small amount of information. If we grow and we have access to the, our greater self, then we have so much more to work with. You know, it's like going to graduate school. Mm. It's it's coming out of elementary school. It's coming, you know, it's like the next level of training. And so that's why it's an educational thing. It's not just psychology. It's not just because you're something's wrong with you. It's not, that's why I kind of, the psychotherapist, I kind of play down a lot because I don't want anybody to think that there's anything wrong with them. There's not. Mm. they're just human yeah yeah so when you when you do have that like that mastery what can that do for us oh my god it's like what can it do for us you know we just come through a year of hell for people yeah and you know i'm grateful because of my profession you know that i've, I've been able to be helpful um, which makes me feel, you know, more potent. But I haven't seen my grandson in a year. I haven't seen my kids, you know, haven't seen my family. I ache for that. I ache for it. But I have a context to be able to pull. It's always about, okay, what's, what's in my control? I can come back to that over and over and over again. But I can't see my family right now. Oh, but we can get on Zoom. We can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can call more frequently. You know, my little grandson, you know, I've, I've called enough that he says, oh, I want to show my mom something, you know, he'll, yeah. three and a half years old. So what's in my control? I do what I can. Um, every situation that, that you have trouble with, you have a toolbox to pull on. Love it. I'm feeling really anxious. You know, I, I tell a story all the time, Alex, that I had, um, I had breast cancer. And so when they were doing a biopsy, 
they came at me with this instrument and they said, I'm sorry, but we can't use anesthesia. <laughs> I didn't know, you gotta be kidding. And so every time they would come at me with it, it was like a hanger, it was like a wire. I would just wanna faint. So I said to the nurse, I said, you know what? Let me lie down on the floor. Let me do my breathing because there's a particular kind of yogic breathing that will bring your nervous system back. I said, leave me alone and I'll tell you when I'm ready. They closed the light. They left me on the floor. They came back in five minutes. I said, I'm ready. They gave me that test. I didn't feel one thing. And I mean it. I mean, I, I'm serious. So many times, you know, giving talk, you know, when I started, first started speaking and I, and I got in front of an audience and I completely forgot everything that I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was so anxious in my mind and I had changed something and I, I was able to, again, you know, ground myself, use my breath, come back to my body, take a moment and just start again. There you go. And you would never know what was going on inside of me. Mm. Love it. Tina, how can my listeners get more of you? Um, you have a website, you have a course. I see your book, um, social media. I want to hear it all, please. <laughs> okay. So Tina at Mastery Under Pressure. That's okay. my, my, my email. You can email me. Tina at Mastery Under Pressure. And I'm going to have this all in the show notes, but... Yep. Um, my website is masteryunderpressure.com. You can learn about my course. I'm so wanting to teach a groups of people at a time that okay. people can really kind of join together, people that they know, business people that they've got other, you know, kind of colleagues and any group that wants to get together and really kind of learn this stuff. Just you and I have had a fabulous conversation. I've got so much to teach, so much more. Absolutely. I also have a, a, a quiz. It's masteryunderpressure.net. Okay. And that'll give you the peak performance quiz. And I also, for business- I'm taking that. I'm excited. <laughs> and, and for business folks, I have a, what we call a, a, a special corporate uh, preview, which is a whole description of people who may be reticent to do coaching. You know, and so, you know, like every coach, you know, how many coaches did you have on the sideline when you were playing football? Oh, my goodness. We had like, I don't know, 14. Yep. Some, something like that. Right. 14, 16. Right. So, so we're talking a lot and I can send that out to anybody. It's a really, really good article. And for anybody that may be reticent or you have somebody in your organization that is really great at what they do, but nah, I don't need any help. Um, mm -hmm. This will encourage them of what they can learn. And so um, again, just write to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think we have a URL for it, but I'm not remembering it. <laughs> but uh, any one of those things, just get in touch with me and, and I can send you in the right direction. Okay, beautiful. And uh, are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. It's uh, my name, Tina Greenbaum. And then I have a business page at Mastery Under Pressure. Same okay. thing with Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, um, always putting out stuff. There's other podcasts. There's a lot of things that people can listen and, you know, pick up different pieces of information. You know, for the, the toolbox. 
Yeah, it, it's a toolbox. That's exactly what it is. Love it. Well, Tina, thank you so much for being my guest on The Shark Effect. I definitely want to have you on again because this could have been, um, I can talk to you for another hour, but um, I'm more respectful of your time. But um, thank you so much. It's been great. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. See you soon, Alex. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you was an athlete, or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times. But how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you? Okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you i break it down i lay down the foundation of who you want to be i have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership which is influence and you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making that can help you with influencing others and how are you influenced i have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity.
to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just, not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes, but I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.